welcome to the New York Mystery Machine. Time to haul, but for ghosts. But for ghosts. Um, how's everyone doing? No one can hear me except for you. So how are you doing on behalf of everyone, Christina? <laughs> um, I and collectively the world are doing great. Um, well, great is a quote unquote. We're doing I'm great. trying to stay positive. Well, you know, we're all we're all gonna. Make it after all. What was that show? I, that was, that was uh, the Partridge Family, I think. We're no, gonna no, make oh, it that's after um, Ethel Moore. No, Ethel Moore, I think. Mary Tyler Moore, Moore right? Yeah, we're gonna um, make it after, after all. all. Yeah, that's 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 how I and the world are doing. How about you, Adam? I'm doing I'm doing all right. Um, just um, prepping for I'm, I'm doing I'm making some moves this 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 fall I'm gonna be directing out of state so uh Woo! worry not listener we're gonna be we're gonna record and, and stocking up for you you're gonna be fine you're not gonna lose any episodes in case you were worried if you were if you were worried about withdrawal symptoms do not fear and, and while you're and while you're worrying do you know what what can do to help alleviate your worries what can they do to help Adam? they can go to the apple podcasts or the itunes whatever you call it these days right and you drop us five stars and you drop us a review do that we, review because we love it we love to see it and if you're interested we talked about this last week mm. it's a real thing though we have a patreon <laughs> do you want an ad to sound like this episode of the new york mystery machine is brought to you by listeners like you because it could be if you join our Patreon, you head on over to patreon.com slash NY Mystery Machine. And they, we have we have perks. What kind of perks, Adam? What kind of perks? What you kind have? of perks? Well, there's five levels. Whoa. Tiers. That if seems you will. official. It's like representative of one one level for every borough. No, that's fine. It is that. It's exactly that. Mm. It's that, Christina feels like we're leaving out the rest of the state though somehow but it's okay because okay. something something worked in that moment i'm going to take it that's it's okay. like five boroughs five boroughs right but worry not because there's five boroughs there's five levels um we have your hudson valley horror oh see wrapping in that state yeah we have the long island leech lich 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 little dnd little dnd easter egg for you guys that's very christina that's not me but we needed something that go out Long Island and something that's demonic, and apparently that's what Liches. it is. Then we got our my favorite level, the the five borough Baba Yaga, <laughs> favorite level, <laughs> the Broadway Boogeyman, and because it's it's big money, mm. the Tammany Hall Terror, obviously for ghosts. And each of those levels comes with some really cool stuff, everything from stickers to to. Um, early event information to to mugs and to my one of my coolest things ever um uh we're we're starting to, to curate playlists you know soundtracks to the pod each month um for our four episodes we'll compile a playlist that takes you really through the sounds of the time the moods and um it'll just be for for people who subscribe for that level it's i believe our our, our fourth level fourth and fifth level gets mm -hmm. that and it's really cool so like you know if, if we're doing episodes that take place in you know, the 20s you'll get some 20s stuff yeah you will if it's taking place now you know all that fun stuff um if if it's taking place in the home of, of someone of a famous musician Lost if, by we're that at, musician. if we're out in long island we may want some Billy Joel up on that. There you go. So that's that. Um, that's a lot of talking about that, but it's really important. We need some new equipment. I, I keep telling people this every week. I feel like the equipment may break, and I don't want it to break because then we can't record it. So that's that's what we're using the money for. Uh, all all proceeds from the Patreon 
will go to to getting some new equipment, a new sound mixer, some new microphones, some new headsets for us because I literally have electrical tape keeping mine together. <laughs> I literally take a photo of our setup one day and be like, this is why we need some money. <laughs> I feel um, like we should run like the, the what is it, Melissa Etheridge music over at the set. Uh, is that I remember you? It was like, in the arms of the angel. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and there are reasonable prices. Um, everything from three three dollars a month to twenty five dollars a month. Highly affordable. So it's very $3. very affordable. Anywho, that was a lot of chatting, but um, necessary. Yeah, absolutely. So today, Christina. Yes. What um, are we, doing? we are we are are are, are sticking to to New York Prime, if you will. <laughs> We're doing our first Broadway tale. Ooh. I'm very excited. For those who know me and Christina, we we, we love a good Broadway. Like a little Broadway. Um and that's how we met. We met doing theater. It's true. So um today we're talking about um one of the earliest and most famous tragedies that have Ooh. that still has some uh some ramifications to this day. Um, we're talking about the tale of Olive Thomas. Olive Thomas. I don't know Olive Thomas. Yeah, many people don't know Olive. Um, but she's become a really, really big fixture in the in the tales of haunted Broadway. Oh. All um right. so let's learn a little bit about Olive. Please. And her and her and her, her woeful tale. It's a it's a sad tale. I'm Here ready. we go. So uh Oliveretta. Is her full name? Oliveretta. Oliveretta Elaine Duffy. Oh. Was born on October twentieth, eighteen ninety four, to James and Raina Duffy in Charleroi, Pennsylvania. I think oh. it's I think it's French. Very French. Oliveretta Duffy. Yeah, all that. I don't know what you said at all. <laughs> I okay. said her name. Oh. <laughs> it sounded like it was like really really French. It was really French. <laughs> According to Olive Thomas, The Life and Death of a Silent Film Beauty, written by Michelle Vogel, her early life was acquainted with tragedy. Hmm. Uh, after the death of her father in a steel mill accident, Ooh. 15-year-old Olive left school to help her mother support her two younger brothers in 1909. Hmm. So already, already tragedy is coming upon our tale. She found employment at Joseph Horn's department store in Pittsburgh, where she earned a whopping $2.75 a week selling gingham. Oh. You know, gingham. Gingham. I love gingham. It's like lace, right? No, gingham's like um, like a... Oh, not lace. Like 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 the... Not cheesecloth. That's not what I want to say. But yeah, that's right. But sort of like that sort of like checkered pattern, right? Yes. Yes. When she was 16, uh, Olive married Bernard Krug Thomas. The year was 1911, and around this time, she decided to leave town to visit an aunt in New York. Hmm. Now, think about New York at the time. It's 1911. Right. It, there's some glitz. There is some there's glitz. There's some glamour. There is. All that jazz. There's some tenements. Um, but we're not going into tenements. Okay. Today. Don't worry about the tenements. All right. We don't get there. Not today. Not yet. Okay. Not even today. Not Olive. She's not selling for tenements. She's but, going places, You're going to learn that soon. Olive decided while she was in New York that she's never going back home again. Did did Krug Thomas come with her? Nope. Oh. She visited her aunt and then she was like, you know what? I don't want to be here no more. I'm gonna I'm gonna stay here. Olive. And so she divorced her husband. And uh when people asked why, she divorced him on grounds of cruelty. Oh. Um, whether that be fact or fiction, um is, is a trick. 
we don't really know. Um, we assume that that it was real, and then she just wanted to leave him because he was cruel to her. Also, she loved New York, hmm. which a lot of people do, right? They yeah. come to New York like, oh my gosh, I gotta live here. It's wonderful. Right. Then they get here like, oh, I can't afford to live here no more. Right. <laughs> um, so Olive stays in New York, leaves her husband forever, but retains his name. So okay. she is going to be Olive Thomas. I do think Olive Duffy was equally good. Yeah, but she's going to be Olive Thomas for the whole of the story, for the right. whole of her life even. Initially, Olive takes another clerk job at a department store in Harlem. She was positioned at the glove counter, but after a bit of time, she felt like she was just wasting her life away. Mm. I mean, imagine, you live in a small town your whole life, taking care of your little brothers, your mom, and then you move to New York, and like you see everything, and just it just feels like there's so much more to be done in your life, and Olive was, was so certain that she wanted more. She was so certain that she didn't want to live this um, mediocre life mm. of just going to work and coming home and, and doing all those things. She didn't know what to do to, to ascend, though, from mm. that position. But um, lucky for her, fate intervened. Oh. So one day, on her way to work, she sees an advertisement for the most beautiful girl in New York City contest. It's a modeling contest. And the grand prize includes having the winner's portrait painted by Howard Chandler Christie. Who is Howard Chandler Christie, you ask? Who is? Glad you ask. Well, at the time, he's an emerging artist, right? No one knows him that, that well. This is 1911-ish. Okay. His prominence would start coming closer to World War One, But I will tell you what became of him and how, and, and how this all kind of plays together because mm. Howard would eventually soon become a very well-known artist and illustrator. He was famous for the Christie girl, which is a colorful and illustrious successor to the Gibson girl. Oh. Yes. He was also widely known for his iconic World War I military recruitment and Liberty Loan posters, along okay. with his 1940 masterpiece titled Scene at the Signing of the Constitution of the United States, which is installed and still exists along the east stairwell of the United States Capitol. Wow. So pretty big. And um, among that, from the 20s to the early 50s, he was an active portrait painter, um, his sitters included presidents, senators, industrialists, movie stars, socialites. He painted Lieutenant Colonel Theodore Roosevelt, <laughs> presidents Warren G. Harding, Calvage Coolidge, Herbert Hoover, FDR, Harry Damn. Truman. He painted uh, William Randolph Hearst, the Prince of Wales, Edward VIII, um, Eddie Rickenbacker, Benito, Benito Mussolini. Guy gets around. And Amelia Earhart before her, oh. her, her fateful trip. Wow. He gets a lot of like work. By 1938, Time Magazine proclaims Christie as the most commercially successful U.S. artist. Wow. So it's crazy where both of these two humans' lives would go after yeah. this portrait. This portrait, again, we're looking at 1911, 1912-ish. Mm -hmm. He hasn't gone there yet. He's so close. He's on the precipice. Mm -hmm. And this first portrait is kind of this entryway to what will happen wow. for the rest of his career. That's amazing. Because it gets around, right? right? The contest, it's a good marketing thing for, for an up-and-coming emerging artist, right? Like, right. I'm going to do this contest to find the most beautiful girl in New York City, and then I'm going to paint her portrait, and then everyone's going to look at it and say, oh, that, that's the most beautiful girl in New York City. Right, I wonder who painted that. I want to paint that. So Olive calls in sick to work, Goes to the contest studio, auditions among the crowds of women, and she wins. I need to see a picture of Olive. Oh, do it. She's gorgeous. She is gorgeous. Well, while you're oh. exactly. 
According to Olive Thomas, The Life and Death of a Silent Film Beauty, she was truly beautiful with golden ringlet curls, porcelain skin. In her 1955 memoir, her sister-in-law described Olive as having, quote, the loveliest violet blue eyes I have ever seen. They were fringed with long, dark lashes that seemed darker because of the delicate, translucent pallor of her skin. Wow. And you're looking at her I'm, now. She is gorgeous, And folks. we're going to post it on, on the socials. She's a, she's a beautiful young woman, right? After winning the Most Beautiful Girl in New York City contest, Olive has her portrait done by Christie, as well as a slew of other artists, right? Mm -hmm. They see this, and then so she, she starts becoming in demand. People start okay. wanting to paint her picture. One of those artists is Harrison Fisher, who then would dub her as not just the most beautiful girl in New York City. He dubs her the most beautiful girl in the world. Ooh, all right. So she finds herself with top-tier modeling offers within months. She auditions for the widely popular showgirl chorus of the Ziegfeld Follies. Huh. She is adored and lavish with expensive jewelry and flowers on top of her $75 a week paycheck, which is about $1,700 today. Oh. What she'd be making. Much of which went to her family. Yeah. Olive is really known for her generosity with her money at this time. Um, uh, Philip Mindell, the dramatic editor of the New York Tribune, once said that, quote, to know Olive Thomas personally is like being on friendly terms with an angel. Oh, so, I love that. Yeah, she 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 was, wasn't terribly shrewd in her money at the time. She was making money, making it quickly, and starting to, to send it home, certainly, helping out her mom, helping out her brothers. If you don't know who the Follies were, mm -hmm. um, the Follies were the pinnacle of show business in New York during this period, right? Yeah. Um, New York was covered with with um, um, vaudeville. Um, burlesque wasn't really moving in yet, but certainly vaudeville and showgirls. Yeah. And at at the top of this was the Follies, was right. Zigfield Follies. Um, they're known for their knockout beauty, their extravagant gowns, and their performances for high rollers in the 1920s. Um, Folly Girls shows take place at the New Amsterdam Theater on 42nd Street. That mm -hmm. is the home of the Follies. Um, it housed multiple multiple acts at the time. At the head of the show was the great Florence Zickfield. Mm. We can do it a whole episodes on <laughs> Florence and all the stuff that he went, got into, the controversies of, of, of Mr. Zickfield. Zigfield had separated the Follies into two groups. Okay. He had the main Follies, which was the standard show downstairs in the main theater. But then upstairs was the more risque Midnight Frolic on the Ooh. Roof Garden. Midnight Frolics. Midnight Frolic on the Garden. So I'll eventually switches from the Follies to the Frolics. Mm -hmm. um, and when you do this, the girls would then glide above patrons on glass walkways. Oh. They would wear dresses with balloons that men can pop with their cigars. <laughs> um, she was showered with gifts and affections from politicians and celebrities and businessmen. It's rumored that the ambassador of France gave her a $10,000 necklace. Most notably, like many a folly girl, she also took up an affair with Florence Zigfield. Like you do. Like you do. Well, Olive Fever soon began to sweep the country. So during her time on the stage, she even posed nude for illustrator Alberto Vargas. Okay. Um, that image is also online. I may post it on the social. Yeah. Um, Take that, Instagram. See, we're going to get shut down. I don't know. I mean, it's tasteful. 
I'm sure. Tasteful nudity is okay. Right. That's true. It's art. It is art. Instagram. I'm not not arguing with you. I'm arguing with Instagram, and we're going to see what happens with that. We're going to see what happens. But soon, uh, Hollywood would get a hold of Olive, and her career move going to Hollywood would prove quite deadly for her. Bum, bum, bum. Yikes. That was a good. That was a good one. That was good. Um, Alice's first role would be a, would be Rita Malone in episode ten of Beatrice Fairfax film series in nineteen sixteen, financed by William Randolph Hearst. Oh. Later, Triangle Pictures offered her an exclusive contract and moved out west to California, where she earned the reputation as an energetic brain, eager to learn the nuances of the film. From acting to directing to prop construction, she wow. won everything. She had a really like really bold future ahead of us. You know, Olive would meet a tragic end. We're going to find out soon, but it's really sad because Olive wanted more than this provincial life. <laughs> she wanted to to not just be an actor. Not she wanted to direct. She wanted wow. to to be behind the scenes. You know, she wanted to do so much that she never would be able to get into. During this time, Olive began a romance with actor Jack Pickford, the brother of America's sweetheart, Mary Pickford. Oh! Yes. I know Mary Pickford. After eight months of dancing and parties, the pair was secretly married in New Jersey, though no marriage license has ever been found. Interesting. (laughs) Olive kept... That uh, is secret. (laughs) Olive kept a surname from her first marriage, eager to prove that she can thrive without the benefit of the Pickford family name. So that's why she's still Thomas. She is a thoroughly modern gal. But the couple wasn't exactly always terribly discreet. Mm. The press picked up the marriage quickly. Renowned screenwriter Frances Marion said of the couple in her autobiography, Off With Their Heads, quote, Mm -hmm. Two innocent-looking children. They were the gayest, wildest brats who ever stirred the stardust on Broadway. Both were talented, but they were much more interested in playing the roulette of life than in concentrating on their careers. Mm. This sentiment seemed to be the consensus of their colleagues. Jack and Olive were both fun-loving and spontaneous. Their personalities that bordered on hedonistic. Mm. They were very much cut from the same cloth. They were prone to sexual promiscuity and not always with each other. You know. A lot of stuff. The LA Times said of her in 1917, quote, Ms. Thomas had a reputation for seeking action and plenty of it. <laughs> Jack and Alice spent majority of their marriage on opposite coasts due to their careers. They mm-hmm. followed the pattern that most abusive relationships do. They would fight. They would reconcile. They would fight more. Reconcile again, then they'd fight worse. Right. Uh, after uh, a battle, he, um, Jack would just shower her with expensive gifts, mm. and that would be the pattern until it right. happened again. Pickford did not quit his womanizing ways. Mm. He would still constantly um, skip out on Olive while they're on different coasts, certainly, and all this action led him to contract syphilis. Oh. So he began to take mercury bichloride as a topical medication for the disease. That's going to be very important in just a bit. Okay. After Jack experienced a public military scandal, the marriage became more rocky. On August 12, 1920, they set sail to Paris aboard the RMS Imperator to enjoy a second honeymoon and hope to rekindle their spark. Mm. Things were rough. They wanted to kind of get back to to who they were, who who, right. who the press knew them as. Like they wanted to escape all of the the bad stuff and really find themselves again. Why do I feel like that doesn't happen? Well, 
On September 5th, Jack and Olive spent an evening drinking and dining at Montmartre. Montmartre? Montmartre. And returned to their home at the hotel where it's about 3 a.m. Okay. Jack went straight to bed. Olive stayed awake to nurse a headache. She stumbled through the unfamiliar suite, drunk and sleepy, in search of aspirin. Oh, no. Olive managed to get to the bathroom, where she wrote a note to her mother and clumsily picked up a flask. She took a swig of the liquid inside, thinking it was a pain reliever. She didn't bother to read the label, which was in French. If she did read the label, and if she did understand French, she would have been able to read that the bottle was mercury bichloride. No. The realization came quite quickly. Oh, no. Oh, my God, Olive screams, loud enough to wake her husband. Jack comes running in and catches poor Olive as she swoons towards the floor, a bottle of poison in her hand. Now, according to Jack, he tried with all of his might to save Olive. He says he tries to dilute the poison with water and induce vomiting with raw eggs. He calls for a doctor who rushes to the room and pumps Olive's stomach three times. Mm. She continues to decline. At 9 a.m., a terrified and sick Olive was taken to Newley Hospital for treatment. The treating physicians did everything they could to save her, but little hope outside of Olive's desire to live was there. She told Jack she would get better and even asked to nur- and even asked the nurse to return to the States with her. But it wasn't to be. Her kidneys stopped performing. On September 10th, 1920, Jack asked his wife how she was feeling. She said, pretty weak, but I'll be all right in a little while. Don't worry, darling. And these would be the last words she ever spoke. Oh, that's so sad. Olive Thomas dies that day. She's eventually buried in Woodlawn Cemetery in New York. Oh. Famous cemetery in New York. <sighs> um, in a grave built for two. Oh. The Pickford name she refused to live under now adores a grave. Well, I have feelings about that. Which is really, really... Ugh. Yeah. Well, it was again, it's, it's Jack's grave, right? Right. It's for two, so... But... Yeah. <sighs> I'll post a picture of the of the. Grave. Does Jack end up getting buried there? I believe so. Maybe because it'd be really annoying if he doesn't. I really didn't follow up on what That's happens fair. to him. I oh, can't. Poor Olive. I can't on a follow up episode. Okay. So mystery begins to surround Olive's death. Right. It's a mystery podcast, kids. Um, <laughs> some newspapers started reporting that death was suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, people noticed that. You know, the, the constant trends aren't happening. Lots of people around Olive said that she wasn't always her happiest. Sure. Um, there was a toxic relationship with Jack. There was the the constant um, paparazzi. There right. was the constant fame. Um, she wanted more time to herself but couldn't get it. She was, she was mm-hmm. still in a contract with Triangle. Um, which was coming to a close, but still, it was forcing her to do a lot more work than than she wanted. Right. This vacation really was so warranted for her to to really just relax. Mm-hmm. And so, rumor has it, perhaps, that this wasn't an accident. That this is yeah. real. That she knows exactly. You think, in theory, regardless of how drunk you are, regardless of how loopy you may be, sleepy you are, yeah. this is mid. You leave. You're, you've been. You've been together for a month. Right. Jack's been taking the same thing daily. It's syphilis. I mean, he has to take it every day. Right. So you know what that what that flask is. Unless, are we sure that he told her he had syphilis? Or yeah. Is, okay. I'm pretty sure he did. All right. Um, it's a theory. 
Um, the theory obviously is reported in the news and it is brought to Jack's attention. And Jack would say that Olive was happy. He insisted that she was happy to be alive and would never have committed suicide. So what happens after he 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 kiboshes that? Do we think he murdered yeah, her? Yeah, literally. Because that's where my brain went first. Every newspaper just switches the angle and goes to murder. Um, and there seems to be a lot of issues between the two of them. Very reported. People see it constantly. And yeah. their, they, their laundry is very out <laughs> and open, right? Like, they have these huge public knockout fights. Yeah. Um, huge times where they would, you know, where she would scream that I'm leaving you. He would scream yeah. I'm leaving her. Um, lots of anger, lots of angst. And within all of that, there is plenty of um, just cause to believe that perhaps Jack wanted to to end this right. without publicly divorcing her, without dealing with the ramifications of a divorce and what that would cause. Yeah, I guess I, yeah. I, I wonder if there's, I mean, he's Jack Pickford, so maybe finances aren't exactly the issue here. Um, but that's also where my brain goes is like she she must have quite a sum of money money under her and yeah, and financially it's an interesting situation, right? Like she makes decent money. She's a film yeah. star. She's doing all things. Jack probably makes a little more money because okay. he's a man, right? Um, Fair. That was, um, <laughs> that, that's it. I'm not gonna say anything more of that, really. It's right, the, right, the, right. Twenties, right, right. Um, um, yeah, maybe, maybe not the finances. Then it just seems like a lot of. It seems like a lot to like murder your wife if you could just divorce, divorce her. Very like, like w- what's, without what's there being the another game? benefit, what's right? Well, um. People say, people close to Jack, people even not close to Jack, say that he is honestly uh, despondent over his wife's death. Mm. When um, when he accompanies her body back to the U- when he accompanies her body back to the U.S., he nearly kills himself. Uh, in the end, the death of Olive Thomas was deemed simply an accidental tragedy. Mm. The French coroner declared it accidental death. Just three days later, Olive was just twenty five years old. This event punctuated the end of Hollywood's golden age mm. um, and flagged the beginning of the Roaring Twenties. Right. In the 1975 book Hollywood Babylon, author Kenneth Anger cites Olive Thomas's death as the first scandal that would define Hollywood's dark side mm. through the present day. In the 1975 book Hollywood Babylon, author Kenneth Anger cites Olive Thomas's death as the first scandal that would define Hollywood's dark side through the present day. It's the reason why Hollywood studios now include morality clauses and contracts. Oh. I'm not sure if now includes, but for a long period of time included morality, morality clauses. clauses. So like, if you're not familiar with morality clause, it's it's basically, hey, you can't do things that make you look awful because it makes us look awful. Oh, okay. Um, And by things that make you look awful, quote unquote, it's like, sleeping around on your husband right. or sleeping around on your wife. It's things like getting a divorce, right. um, getting pregnant before marriage. All these things were covered in these morality clauses that existed for a long time. I'm pretty sure they don't really exist now. I'd assume, be shocked if they I did. assume there's some some places do include morality clauses. I remember there was a whole to-do on 30 Rock where mm. they wanted Jenna Maroney to sign a morality clause when she was you know, marrying this guy who had a whole... His family was in wool, 
like like from the sheep. Yeah, like with the wool business. That's very risque. I'm just remembering it. <laughs> I'm remembering it all on the spot right now. Yeah. But like that was the whole thing, right? They were like, you have to sign a morality clause. And she's like, no, I like weird stuff because I'm I'm fun and awesome, right? Right. So, um, but like these are the things, right? They Hollywood wanted to make sure that their their starlets and their stars are doing great. And this was women and men included. Okay. Um, But the men would have less ramifications. Sure. Because again, there are men. Men. So, Christina. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Accident, suicide, murder. I think I think that there is not enough gain for Jack if it's murder. And I think I think it was accident. I think this is a really tragic accident. Mm. What do you think, Adam? An accident. I think it's an yeah. accident. Um I just don't think there's enough cause for him to want to murder her. They yeah. seem very happy with the cycle, the vicious cycle yeah. that they do. Yeah. And again, I just don't see what the gain is for him. Well, other than like, I don't have, but like you can, you can just divorce her. We don't even know that we have a record of your license for your marriage. So like probably very easy to just say, not married. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's the end of the episode. No, I'm just kidding. I promise you a Broadway haunting, <laughs> damn it. I was very confused. And I will give you a Broadway haunting. And I'm going to give you a Broadway haunting when we get back. So you listen to our podcast, which means you must love mysteries. But how would you like to solve your very own mystery? Hunt a Killer is an immersive murder mystery game told over the course of six episode boxes. Each box is filled with different clues and physical items such as autopsy reports, witness statements, and more. You'll use these clues to solve an ongoing murder mystery. Work solo or as a team of sleuths to finally crack the case and reveal the murderer. So do you think you have what it takes to hunt a killer? If so, head to www.huntakiller.com and use the code NY Mystery Machine for 20% off the first box. That's www.huntakiller.com and the code is NY Mystery Machine. Sign up now and begin the hunt. Bow, bow, bow. All right. I'm ready. Welcome back. I promised you a Broadway haunting. Yes, you did. Gosh darn it! I'm gonna, I'm gonna provide. I'm gonna provide. Um, so Olive Thomas, as we, as we heard, meets her demise on September 10th, 1920. Um, terrible accident, strange occurrence, to say the least. Mm. But not as strange as the occurrences that would soon follow. Ooh. So, an odd thing starts to happen very, very soon after Olive's passing. Um. And these odd things started appearing at the place where Olive's feet were planted for so many years of her life, mm-hmm. the New Amsterdam Theater. Mm. The New Amsterdam Theater is located on 42nd Street and Broadway. Um, it is gorgeous. Um, if you go there now, it's right next to a McDonald's, mm. a really glitzy McDonald's. But the architecture of the New Amsterdam is so wonderful and, and beautiful. And um, it would be a theater that would go under so many renovations and changes. 
Um, we'll get into those in a, quite a bit. But the theater itself still operates today. Um, currently playing there is Aladdin. Ah. If that's still open. Is it open? I think so. I think so, too. I haven't I mean, nothing's Aladdin open right now. Well, right. But. Theoretically. Oh, yeah. It, it was Aladdin. It was the last thing playing there. Okay. Um. So workers at the New Amsterdam, soon after Alice's passing, started telling friends that they were running into Olive backstage. Hmm. Now, news didn't travel as fast back then. So there's a good portion of people who don't know Olive is dead yet. Right. A lot of people who aren't friends with her, who just worked with her, know of her, mm-hmm. would just see her at the New Amsterdam, which is odd because at this time, Olive wasn't there for years, right? right. She had friends there because the Folly Girls would be there. You know, you'd sure. be there for for. for, for handful of years she had a lot of, a lot of people she knew right. worked there and, and knew people who worked in the show still um but at this point a lot of people don't know olive is is dead mm-hmm. and there are soon appearances by olive and the reports would start to flood into people who did know her and people who did know olive past would be like i think you're mistaken I hate to tell you this olive died so this must be within like days of her death days right? into weeks okay. right in the, the immediate after aftermath, yeah. people are seeing Olive. And they're like, hey, Olive's back. We saw her. And like her close friends and family are like, no, you didn't. You didn't see Olive because right. she died. Um, she would appear periodically throughout the 1920s. Huh. But the Follies would leave the New Amsterdam in 1927. And it would appear that when the Follies packed up their bags, so did Olive. Did she go with them to their new location? No. Oh, okay. She packed up for the time being. I see. The New Amsterdam was home. Right. So if no one's in the New Amsterdam, no one's doing it at the New Amsterdam, she had no reason to really be there. Right, that's fair. So the theater becomes quiet during the decades. Um, and as 42nd Street and Broadway falls into decline, the theater was continuously underused. Mm. So Olive goes quiet, and we yeah. don't hear for a few decades, really, any reports of Olive. That changes. Reports start picking up again when the Disney Corporation buys the theater in the mid-90s to begin restoration. For those who aren't familiar, in the mid-90s, Disney makes a deal with New York City. They're going to clean up New York. Because mm-hmm. we, we've we talked on the show about the, the 1970s decline. Gritty. We've talked about the 80s a bit too we never broadway never captures the the prominence it 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 once has there's brilliant shows that go on all throughout the 50s 60s and Mm -hmm. 70s and even 80s and 90s but the actual place to be of broadway if you were not going in a theater right was the most probably one of the most dangerous places to be in new york city we're talking about um, things that people who would want to bring their families to New York would not want. And so the goal of Disney and New York's partnership was to make 42nd Street Times Square PG. Right. They wanted to clean it up and 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 um, and bring people into into the streets. And to do that, they had to find ways to close the peep shows. They had yeah. to find ways to 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 get prostitutes from soliciting people off the streets they had to find ways of doing all these things not to say that sex work should be criminalized just saying this is what happened though this is what happened um in their eyes 
sex work was not going to be Disney and the new New York's vision. Right. And so with that, the new 42nd Street project was created, which is this partnership. And the goal of it was that Disney would throw a ton of money to New York, purchasing the new Amsterdam theater and, and basically doing their darns to clean up. And you see this, right? You see in the nineties, mid nineties, um, 42nd street Broadway itself becomes a new place to live. All the, the grime and the crime is, is pushed aside. Right. Um, it's very glitzy. It's very glitzy. Also dis- displaces a lot of people during oh, the time yeah. as well, right? Whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Disney Corporation buys the new Amsterdam and begins rest- restoration on it. It's in decline. The theater is just gross. So Disney decides that they're going to restore it to its prominence, to mm-hmm. Follies Day's prominence. Gorgeous everything. Construction workers began reporting that their off-limits work areas were being invaded by this woman who's carrying a blue bottle. Hmm. The woman would appear wearing a gorgeous green dress in every single report. The New Amsterdam would reopen on May 18, 1997 with a concert of King David. And in a nod to the cinema heritage of Disney and the New Amsterdam, um, they screened a feature of Hercules in June 1997. <laughs> And finally, the crown achievement of this whole project, The Lion King, arrives oh, on Broadway mm-hmm. at the New Amsterdam Theater in November 13th, 1997. Um, but through all of these shows, through all of these things, there's always been one extra chorus girl in the house, and that's Olive. Olive. Vice President of Disney Theatrical, Dana Amendola, tells this incredible story. He says, quote, in the winter of 1997, we were in the middle of the restoration of the New Amsterdam Theater. I got a phone call from a night guard who was in there alone, claiming he had seen a woman in the theater. He was standing center stage, and when he looked over his shoulder, a woman in a green gown and beaded headdress walked across the stage, turned, blew him a kiss, and walked directly through the wall onto 41st Street. Dana and the night guard called the police, but they couldn't find anyone. The guard quits that week. Yeah, I don't He's blame like, him. He's like, F this <laughs> I don't need this. Got no time for ghosts. <laughs> Dana was adamant that the guard was not a theater person, and he definitely wouldn't have known about the Follies girls, what they wore, um, or anything about Olive. And yet, old photographs suggest that their outfits matched this description to a T. Mm. Dress, headdress, beads, the works. Six months later, Dana invites the guard back to the theater and showed him a series of pictures. Immediately, the guard pointed to a picture of Olive. That's her, he said. That's the girl I saw. Wow. When Amendola was touring the old New Amsterdam Roof Theater in the mid-2000s while being converted to an office space, he passed below the stage, and suddenly and distinctly, he heard the sound of tap dancing <laughs> above the boards. Tap dancing on the boards above him. He started to follow the sound. He moved quickly and nimbly, climbing to the stage level. When he got to the stage, no one was there. He was alone. And mm. if you remember, earlier in the episode, I was talking about the difference between the Follies and the Frolics. Right, right. The Frolics, that was their space. The rooftop right. garden theater stage, that's where they were. And so you would hear above you those sounds. That's where their right. dancing was. It was that above makes sense. you. So Amendola has really become the keeper of Olive Thomas's flame. You know, while many businessmen or many, you know, uh, corporate folks would, would 
quickly tried to extinguish rumors of hauntings. Mm-hmm. He's embraced it. He doesn't fear her. He finds her to be part of the theater. But reports of Olive's appearances have always been described in the same way. Beautiful gown, green, headdress, blue, blue bottle. Mm-hmm. Appears, disappears. Walks into walls. Is that little blue bottle the mercury? That's the mercury. Oh. It's let, We're led to believe that's the flask of mercury. From the 20s to the 2000s to now, anytime someone sees Olive, they say she's a young woman wearing a sash and carrying a bottle of pills or some sort of bottle. Mm-hmm. We assume it's... Mercury. The Mercury. Um, and sometimes they say that Olive would speak to them. Oh. And every time people heard her speak, no matter what era we're talking about, mm-hmm. or if we're talking about the 20s, or talking about 97, or talking about today, people who didn't know each other, mm-hmm. people who never met each other, would always imitate her voice in the same exact way. Wow. There's always the same exact tone, the lightness, the, 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 the quirkness of it, mm-hmm. um, to a T. Oh, Olive. Olive often appears in that trap beneath what once was the New Amsterdam roof where he heard the mysterious tap dancing. Um, That space is now used for storage. Uh, It was reportedly being renovated in in recent years to Mm -hmm. be another theater again. I'm not sure if that ever was done to completion. Uh, But employees continue to report seeing a woman there or sometimes just disembodied parts of feet climbing up a staircase. Mm. During previews of Aladdin, Amendola said a female replacement conductor who had worked on the Mary Poppins um, production there um, also knew Olive was getting ready in her dressing room. She didn't know Olive. She knew Olive. Of Olive, Olive. yeah. Uh, She was getting ready in her dressing room. So she's reading an email from the conductor, Mm -hmm. and Amendola says that this replacement conductor speaks out loud to Olive. She says, well, Olive, I'm back again, and I'm a little nervous. Just wanted to introduce myself again and ask if you can please give me some luck. Mm-hmm. She pauses. And with a slight laugh, she continues, huh, I wonder what the Follies girls would have thought of a female conductor. Just then, according to the conductor's email, four of the round dressing room bulbs flickered on and off for a few seconds and then stopped. The bulbs were all brand new, having just been replaced for the new show. The conductor said, quote, it was like a wink. She was signaling that she was very fine with the idea. I love that. I know, me too. She would be fine with the idea. She'd very. be very excited about but this. Yes. Because w- remember who Olive was, right? Yeah. She wasn't just this this actor. She wanted yeah. to do she everything. She wanted to do everything. And so seeing that a woman got, yeah. gets this prominent role, if you don't know musical theater, the conductors are a really important part of yeah. the show. So even if you're a replacement conductor, you're still conducting that orchestra. And... um especially for for the follies like mm-hmm. it's Zigfield and the conductor like yeah. that is and the music director really works hand in hand like it's yeah. top tier now so many of these apparitions have been made backstage or at times with no audience mm-hmm. what would you say if i told you that olive had made an appearance or two in the middle of a crowded new amsterdam orchestra section i would love that so shortly after the opening of aladdin in 2014 an audience member came up to one of the ushers during the performance and asked if she can have a booster seat for a child. Mm-hmm. The usher said that we don't like to interrupt the show. So the usher says that we had waited until the intermission and then come over and gave her the booster. Mm-hmm. But we found that she already had one. When we asked where she got the booster, she said, quote, the lady at the back of the theater and had gestured to where they were. Now, the usher says, 
we don't have a woman at the back of the house who does that in the mm-hmm. middle of a show at all. Mm-hmm. In the middle of a show, you wouldn't be getting people boost your seats. Right. It's the policy of the theater. And then we checked, and none of the staff had done it. We went through all the staff. They they checked. They asked, and none of the staff did it. So you can take that how you like it. But it was I love it. Freaky. I love it. I I love the idea that Olive was like, "Oh come on, guys, get this girl a booster." It's not that such a big request. Just come on. Amandola says that um, if there are really things such as ghosts, and if the New Amsterdam theater is indeed haunted by a Which ghost, it is. he's very happy about it. He says, quote, we embrace it. She's never violent, always playful. She kind of embodies what we're all about here at Disney. We're in the business of happiness. And to have someone from so long ago acknowledging that she's pleased makes us feel like we're doing things right. Yeah. Olive is not predictable. She <laughs> doesn't perform on cue. Um, he says that she doesn't appear on Halloween, for instance. When people try to find her, they can. She tends to appear just at a moment. She tends to appear just at the moment we forget about her. When we're busy putting on a new show or putting a new office in, when there are changes happening, mm. that's when we see Olive. Or when someone needs a booster seat for their kid. Nearly a century after her death, Olive Thomas is one of the best-known Zigfield girls and the subject to, to films, books, and at least a half dozen websites. And that's created a problem for the staff at the New Amsterdam. Amandola says they get asked about Olive all the time, which <laughs> isn't a problem. Mm. But many of Olive's craziest fans have tried concealing themselves in corners of the theaters, hoping to stay as it's closed to catch a glimpse of the glamorous ghost. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if I ever got a chance to work at the, the New Amsterdam, I'd be like, great, I'm going to stay here tonight right. and just camp out for Olive. Right. Sorry, folks. obviously, that's what I'm doing. Amandola says that his staff um, now does a special sweep of the theater each night to catch stowaways and escort them out. Oh my gosh! So after everyone leaves, the staff has to go around the theater one more time to see if anyone's hanging around for all of. Okay, but now I'm just thinking about all the ways that what if you could like jump between hiding spaces long enough to avoid? I mean, I'm sure there's a way. I'm sure if you scout it out long enough, you can figure it out. Mm. There's a portrait of Olive hanging at the theater. Oh, that's nice. People like to pay it homage. Um, folks who have worked at the New Amsterdam have also begun a, a, a wonderful little tradition of greeting Olive upon entering the space or passing her photo. Mm-hmm. Um, greeting her is ins- is said to ensure a great performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people would they'll enter and say, hi, Olive. How are you, Olive? So happy to be here, Olive. Um, they acknowledge her and her presence at the theater. There's something very patron sainty about this, like very, you know, the idea which of like I love it. right, and like even just the idea that she has this blue bottle. She's not necessarily sad. It sounds like at any point, yeah. She's playing, but like this is the thing by which you recognize her, right? So she's gonna carry it around. Yeah, literally. So Olive Thomas, what a life! When a legacy she leaves behind. There's so much promise, so much tragedy. Yeah. Um, and what was a short mortal life mm-hmm. still carries on to this day yeah. in the afterlife and you could if you're if you you know if you're not a believer sure but you know you listen to this podcast so you're somewhat of a believer <laughs> in, in the paranormal or the weird you want to believe would and you say? um you want to believe was the next files reference of course it is god the x-files i can't um and so, yeah, I've never, I mean, I've seen the picture, I've seen the portrait of Olive, I've mm-hmm. never obviously seen an apparition of Olive, right. but I think it's a really cool, amazing thing, and so I'm glad I got to share this yeah. wonderful little tale of Olive It's Thomas. kind of a sweet haunting. It's a sweet haunting. There's something I, sweet about this. I almost want to call this episode the sweet haunting the of sweet Olive haunting Thomas. Of, aw. I'm going to call it that. Do it. That's what I'm going to call it. <laughs> um... Or it can do a really long one like you, and be like the sweet haunting of Olive Thomas at the New Amsterdam Theater. 
Colon, colon patron saint. <laughs> the New Amsterdam. Yeah. Ooh, I like that much too. Can we just call her the patron saint of the New Amsterdam? I'm going to send in a, um, a, a petition. I'll sign. To, to have Olive be the patron saint of the New Amsterdam. Yes. She's not harmful at all. No one has seen a single bad thing about this ghost. Yeah, this seems very playful and lovely. I dig it. She's very helpful. She gets people booster seats what help- in the middle of shows. I'm really stuck on this. What good fortune. Well, that's today. That's our episode, well, thanks, folks. Thanks, um, Hey, Christina, if people want to follow us on the socials, where are they going to do that? Well, they should go to at NY Mystery Machine on Instagram and also Facebook. And NY Mysteries, yeah, NY Mysteries on Twitter. I always get confused. And NY Mysteries on the Twitter, indeed. And again, um, if you want to be an angel, a patron saint, a patron if you, saint, if you if will, you will. Mm. if you want to be Olive, in the best ways, not dying early. Um, <laughs> but Olive was so glorious with her money, and it would be really great if you're a little generous with your money, and then head on over to the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash machine. Sign up today. Uh, a lot of really cool perks. And once you sign up, you'll start getting those perks. Yeah. You know, whether it be a sticker. Mm. I wanted that to sound a lot cooler than it was. A Try sticker? <laughs> no, it won't be. I mean, it's a sticker, but I like stickers. What if you said it with an old-timey pirate accent? <sighs> whether it be a sticker... Or a mug. A mug. <laughs> <laughs> or 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 exclusive. Or my favorite thing ever, it's going to be the exclusive soundtrack. Yeah. If I was doing this Patreon, I would literally- I would want the soundtrack. Just because it's really cool, you'll get a really cool dope sense of, of different music. And um, we'll Also make... think about what, what the fun stuff for today. You could have you could have bits of The Lion King. You yeah. could have some really great Zigfield Follies. Follies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that, I, mean, I, I may make one for this for this month as a little bit of a sample. For the world to see the glory that you'll get. Right. Anywho. Well, thanks for coming aboard the New York Mystery Machine today. It's always Tammy Hall for Ghosts in in the studio. I've been Adam Mace. I've been Christina Marinelli. And we'll see you soon.